0: The History Channel, original podcast. History This Week, October 4th, 1938. I'm Sally Helm. Marina Roskova is running out of options. She's been navigating through the Siberian wilderness with nothing but matches, a revolver, a compass, and a little bit of chocolate. That's what she had time to grab 10 days ago, when she had to suddenly bail out of a moving plane. Raskova and two fellow Soviet pilots were trying to set a new record, the longest distance ever flown by women. They took off from Moscow on a plane called the Rodina, which translates to motherland. And about a day later, somewhere over this remote part of Siberia, they run into trouble a red light in the cockpit starts blinking. They're running out of fuel. Extreme cold has knocked out their radio, and the plane begins to sink lower and lower. Because of the way the Rodina is built, the three women are flying in three separate compartments. They actually have to communicate by handwritten notes sent through pneumatic tubes. Marina Raskova, the navigator, flies in a glass-covered cockpit at the front. If they have to crash land, she's the least likely to survive. Finally, the lead pilot makes a call. She sends a note up to Raskova. Jump. Raskova ends up alone in this cold, wild place with barely more than a bar of chocolate. Her only hope of survival is to find her way back to the downed plane and pray that someone will spot it and come to the rescue. Luckily, she's a navigator. She notes the plane's direction as she floats down on her parachute, and when she makes it to the ground, she hears gunshots. Her colleagues have survived— they actually managed to land the plane in a half-frozen swamp. And they're trying to signal their location. She figures out the direction on her compass and sets off towards them. The chocolate, unfortunately, doesn't last long. Raskova survives on berries, mushrooms, and birch leaves. Her legs are hurting. She injured them when she first hit the ground. She's cold, weak, thirsty. But finally, today, October 4th, She looks out over open swampland and sees the plane. Raskova is reunited with the two other women who have survived their own ordeal. And luckily, rescuers have already found the Rodina. The women are evacuated to a nearby village and then brought back to Moscow by train. Along the way, they're greeted as heroes. Turns out, before the crash, they'd flown far enough that they did actually break that long-distance record. There's a fancy reception for them at the Kremlin. They're awarded the title Heroes of the Soviet Union, the first women to get that award. As one government official puts it, you have demonstrated what great things Soviet women are fitted for. He has no idea how right he is. Three years after Marina Raskova emerges from the Siberian wilderness, almost to the day, she gets a very important new job. She'll be training a group of female Air Force pilots to fight on the front lines of World War II. One of the women's regiments will be among the highest performing units in the entire Soviet Air Force. They'll come to be known as the Night Witches. Today, who were these barrier-breaking pilots, and how did they become some of the most feared forces on the Eastern Front? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Claudia Hagen was researching a book about American women during World War II when she stumbled across a little article, probably just a few paragraphs long. It was about a group of women who had been bombers in the Soviet military during World War II.
1: And I thought, really?
0: I never heard of such a thing. She sets it aside for the moment. She has to finish her book about the American women, but she can't get it out of her mind. So eventually she looks into it and falls headlong into the world of the Night Witches.
1: Then I was totally flabbergasted because I had absolutely no idea that the Soviets were using women in combat while the Americans were only using the women to ferry aircraft. They were not allowed to uh, participate in any fighting or combat flying or any of that sort of thing.
0: Meanwhile, in the Soviet Union, the Night Witches are flying tens of thousands of nighttime bombing raids against the Nazis. One of the main leaders of this effort was none other than Marina Roskova. Roskova had learned to fly when she was young, though she'd first shown an early interest in music.
1: She sang opera and she was a classically trained pianist.
0: But after a severe ear infection left her hearing damaged, she ended up in an airplane as part of a training program for youth all across the Soviet Union. It was meant to teach them about the military, politics, communism, to make them good citizens.
1: When they were in their teens, they were all taught to parachute.
0: Imagine a bunch of 14-year-olds going up into the sky and jumping out of a plane.
1: That was what they were required to do. Wow, why? Um, It was so that they could overcome any fear. If they could jump out of a perfectly good airplane, then they should not be afraid of anything ever.
0: It might sound harsh, but many Soviet kids fell in love with flying. In addition to parachutes, they're taught to fly gliders. An airplane tows them
1: up and then cuts the cable and... It's basically free flight. If you've ever been in a glider, it's just really kind of fun because all you have is the wind and a stick to go up or down, and that's pretty much it.
0: Marina Raskova is one of those teens who experiences flight and never looks back. At 19, she becomes the first female navigator in the Soviet military.
1: And she was a force to be reckoned with.
0: Raskova is coming into her own at a time when the Soviet Union is really obsessed with aviation. Joseph Stalin, who becomes de facto dictator of the country by the late 1920s, is focused on making sure that Soviet aviators are competing on the world stage.
1: He wanted all of his pilots, men and women, to set as many aviation-type records as they possibly could because then that would make him look really good.
0: It's partly because of this that Marina Raskova and the two other female pilots set out on the flight of the Rodina. At 26, she survives the crash, breaks the distance record, and becomes a national hero.
2: And that really, really opened the gates for women to be interested in flying.
0: We spoke about this with Krister Bergstrom he's been working on a five-volume series about the air war on the Eastern Front of World War II. He told us, by the time of the Rodina flight in 1938, the Soviet Union already had many more female aviators than any other country. And the Rodina flight brings even more women to aviation. The co-pilot on that flight writes soon after their return that she's getting letters from hundreds of women who dream of flying not just because it's fun, but because they want to help protect the Rodina, the motherland, to, quote, fight the enemy not only on the ground, but in the air. About a year later, Germany invades Poland and World War II begins. At first, the Soviet Union doesn't get involved. In fact, Hitler and Stalin sign a deal saying that neither will attack the other. But on June 22, 1941, Hitler breaks his word.
2: This was the Pearl Harbor of the Soviet Union when Nazi Germany invaded. They massacred and killed and brutalized people from the very first hour.
0: Soviet citizens flock to military recruitment offices, volunteering to fight, including many women.
2: And uh, most of them were turned back.
0: At first, Stalin didn't want women in combat. But women certainly wanted to fight. And one of those women is Marina Raskova. She's pretty famous at this point. She has political connections. And she tells Stalin, give me the power to form air combat units made up of women.
2: But Stalin refused. And then Marina said, well... My girls will fly to the front and fight anyway.
0: Bergstrom told us, Raskova was kind of bluffing. But she turns out to be right. Not long after Nazi Germany invades Russia, three female pilots decide to steal a plane?
2: Yeah, they stole a plane from an airfield and flew to the front and fought with it.
0: The plane was an old bomber that the military had deemed unfit for battle. And the three women were mechanics who worked at the airfield where the plane was stationed.
2: So they took some ammunition and some grenades and they flew over the front and threw out with by their hands the bombs. And you know, like, take this, you Germans. <laughs>
0: when the women return, they do get in big trouble. They're actually arrested.
2: But then people got wind of it and they became like a legend. So they had to release them. And this came through to Stalin. And Stalin told Marina Raskova, well, okay, then.
0: (laughs) It's not totally as simple as that. The Soviet military was in dire need of pilots. During the initial German invasion, a large swath of the Soviet Air Force had been wiped out. And government officials had been talking about letting women fight. But Raskova is tasked with making it happen. And she's ready. Even before Stalin's formal announcement, she puts out a call over the radio.
2: Dear sisters, now the time has come for you. Join the ranks of the warriors
0: and fight for peace. Thousands of women apply.
2: It was like a shockwave through the Soviet society. I mean, a huge amount of women volunteered.
0: And many hundreds are accepted. On a very cold mid-October day in 1941, the women all pile onto trains and trucks for a multi-day journey to an Air Force training camp in the farmlands just north of Stalingrad.
1: And it was kind of way out in the boonies. Claudia Hagen again. All these women piled into these big old trucks, the big old fashioned kind with the tarps on them, then had to go bumpity bumping across the road and arrived at the flight school, which had no accommodations for women, so they were set even further away from the main training area into this big old barn that stunk to high heaven. And they were not real happy about that, but they got to work and got it all cleaned up and that was their home.
0: Up until this point, there had been only male soldiers at the camp. The women are given men's uniforms because that's all there is.
1: They were issued the flight suits and the boots and the goggles and all of those things and when the women would put the boots on they could turn their whole bodies around backwards in the boots they were so big
0: the women don't have much time to settle in their training begins immediately it's packed into 14-hour days because they have less than six months to learn everything navigation morse code airplane mechanics, how to drop bombs and shoot guns and calculate the distance to a target. The women also have to learn how to deal with their fellow soldiers. (laughs)
1: The men were not real happy to have to be competing with the women.
0: There is name-calling.
1: Classic bullying is what we would call it these
0: days. One account even says that the men messed with the women's planes by switching the gas in their tanks for water.
1: Stupid things like that that caused a
0: lot of problems. But the women pushed through it, under the direction of their leader, Raskova. She helps run the training, and she also helps the women stay relaxed. Somehow she managed to get a piano at the flight school. She was, remember, a classically trained musician.
1: And oftentimes to relieve the anxiety of the women, she would sit and play classical music on the piano.
0: That anxiety made sense. The training was dangerous. One snowy night, two planes crash during a practice flight. All four women on board are killed. The trainees are shocked. And Raskova?
1: She grieved right along with them. She was devastated. And that just made her want to try even harder to make them stronger and uh more capable of what she knew they could do.
0: As the training goes on, the women are split into three separate regiments. Two of those regiments, the 586th and the 587th, will eventually include men. Raskova herself will join the 587th. But the 3rd Regiment...
1: 588th, my favorites. Um, They were completely a women's regiment. The pilots, the co-pilots, the navigators, all of the mechanics, the ground crew, everybody.
0: The women of the 588th would be using a specific military strategy. Dropping bombs on the Germans at night. Which took special skill. Not just flying a plane in the dark, but refueling it Fixing it. Everything.
1: If they had any light at all, it was maybe the full moon.
0: Adding to the difficulties, they'd be flying in old World War I planes called PO2s.
1: They were laughable. (laughs) I like to say they were flying pieces of crap. Why do they get these crappy planes?
0: Because there wasn't (laughs) anything left. A lot of more modern Soviet planes had been knocked out of commission during the initial Nazi invasion. Meanwhile, Soviet farmers have been using these PO2s for crop dusting, flying low and slow over their fields, dropping fertilizer or pesticides. Now the Soviet military decides those planes are heading back into combat.
1: If you can imagine a plywood box covered in canvas with a couple of wings covered in canvas, and a a lawnmower engine with a propeller on it. That's basically what those planes were. They were just really
0: um, a joke. These planes are open to the elements, they don't have a radio, and they can only hold so much weight. With the pilot, the navigator, and the bombs, there wasn't any room left for a parachute. Although... They flew so low to the ground
1: that a parachute wouldn't have done them any good anyway. Wow. So if they if they had to get out of the plane, they would just jump? Jump. Yeah, if they could. Um, or they'd have to go down with the plane.
0: In May of 1942, the women of the 588th take off from their training camp, heading to a base near Stalingrad to await their first mission. Marina Raskova sees them off, tells them how proud she is, in this short amount of time, they've become real aviators, real soldiers. She salutes them as they leave and shouts out, "Happy skies." They don't know it, but this is the last time any of them will see Raskova alive. They land at their new base and continue preparations. Their leader is a stern, energetic former flight instructor named Yevdokia Bershinskaya.
1: Yevdokia was 28, and she was a former airline pilot for 10 years. So you can imagine she was a, an airline pilot at an awful young age.
0: Finally, one day in June, Bershinskaya calls the group together for an announcement. Tonight, she says, we fly.
1: The target was the
0: Germans that were headed for Stalingrad. The soldiers are camped at a rail station with food and water. It's a headquarters for the Nazi forces in the area. The 588th will drop their bombs and try to take it all out. Night falls. And six of the soldiers get into their little wooden planes, ready to go. Including their leader, Bershinskaya. She
1: wanted her gals to know that she was not afraid to do what she was asking them to do.
0: The other women in the regiment watch from the ground as the planes take to the skies on their way to the enemy camp.
1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
0: The women of the 588 approach the enemy camp, flying through the night at about 3,000 feet. As they get close to their target,
1: in their little Lawnmower airplanes, they cut their engine, completely turn the engine off, and they drop down and glide to 1,300 feet.
0: With the engines cut, they're almost completely silent.
1: The wind passing over the wings made a kind of a whooshing sound.
0: The German soldiers probably don't hear it. So when the first bomb is dropped... It totally caught them off guard. The Germans race to their searchlights and their anti-aircraft guns. But shooting at these night attackers is difficult, partly because they're flying so slowly. The Germans assume they're flying much faster, so they aim the guns too far in front of the planes and miss. The first and third planes make it through the fire, but the second isn't so lucky. She's hit, most likely by flak from the guns.
1: You know, as I mentioned before, the planes were tinderboxes, If um, something caught fire or they got hit with more than one or two pieces of plaque, they were goners. It was uh, not a pretty picture.
0: The pilot and the navigator are killed. But the women back at the base don't have much time to mourn. They have more missions to fly. In two
1: nights, they flew 46 missions and pretty much wiped out that entire regiment. So they had no more supplies, no more food, no more
0: fuel, nothing. This will become a signature of the 588th Regiment. They're able to fly many, many missions. That's partly because Bershinskaya creates these efficient teams of armorers and mechanics to service the planes.
1: If you think of NASCAR. And you see when the car comes in and all the crew runs out, and man, they whip those tires off and on in seconds. And it's that sort of thing.
0: Another reason the 588 outperformed their male counterparts was because they were hell-bent on proving themselves. One lieutenant later recalled that the women would eat their dinner in the cockpit, ready to go, while the men were standing around talking and having a smoke. And the women's efforts pay off, the constant barrage of night bombing starts to take a toll on the other side. Here's Krister Bergström.
2: It had a huge psychological effect on the Germans. They really feared them.
0: At first, the German troops assumed that these pilots are men. But then the Soviet Union drops propaganda, mocking them.
2: They said that you should know that those who are bombing you and forcing you to run and hide are women.
0: The Germans are floored. This was unheard of. And these raids are making their lives a living hell. They have to stay up all night just waiting to be attacked. They can't use any light at all. No cooking fires. No cigarettes even.
2: I mean, I've talked to very many German veterans from the Eastern Front, both Ground Army and the Air Force, and everyone tells you it was a constant nuisance
0: not to mention terrifying. Bergstrom said, for the Germans, the scariest moment wasn't hearing the planes approach, but hearing them fall silent. That was when they were about to glide in and drop the bombs. The planes were also devilishly difficult to shoot down, partly because in shooting, you'd give away your position and make yourself vulnerable to a bomb, Some of the Nazi soldiers thought that the women were taking some kind of special injection to improve their night vision. In one of the regiments, they're talking about all this, how the planes always seem to get away, asking themselves.
2: How small are those Russian aircraft? So the German pilots suggested that, well, maybe they are witches flying on brooms. So everybody laughed, and so the expression night witches was
0: coined. The Night Witches. These women are making Marina Raskova proud, flying all these successful missions that have a real impact on the course of the war. And then, in January of 1943, tragedy strikes. Raskova is flying to Stalingrad with fellow women in the 587th Regiment when she gets caught in a thick fog. She tries to make an emergency landing, but she can't. Her plane crashes into a cliff. Raskova and her crew die on impact. The tragedy is felt profoundly all across the Soviet Union.
2: Wow, yes. The whole country was mourning because, you know, she was a national hero. And even the little girls were looking up to her. So the loss of Marina Raskova, it was a national tragedy.
0: Raskova is given the first state funeral of the war. Thousands attend, and through it all, the night witches keep flying, now fueled by sadness and anger after their leader's death. By the spring of 1943, the Soviets have pushed the Germans back. But the Nazis are still in control of an important territory called the Taman Peninsula, which gave the Germans land access to an area rich in oil. The Night Witches are part of a six-month struggle to get that peninsula back.
2: They flew missions every night, every night, every night. Bombing German headquarters and airfields, ammunition dumps, road convoys, troop concentrations.
0: Their missions don't all end in victory. One night in July of 1943, they approach an enemy camp and notice something strange. There's no anti-aircraft firing. The Germans are clearly expecting them, though. Their large searchlights are on, and they catch one of the planes in their beams. But she successfully drops her bombs and heads back to the base. Then the second pilot arrives. She, too, is caught in a searchlight. She's about to drop her bombs— when suddenly, a German night fighter plane starts raining down fire. That night, the 588th will lose eight women, four planes, in just about ten minutes.
2: There were other night witches in the air then, and they saw these explosions in the night, like comets falling to the earth. And they were very, very shocked about this.
0: But they keep fighting.
2: These women... They were handpicked. They were selected, the best among the best. So they were um, tough.
0: Their efforts, along with those of the rest of the Soviet forces, mean that the Taman Peninsula is liberated in September of 1943. After that, the Night Witches earn the honorary name of Tamansky in recognition of their important contribution. By the time the war ends in May of 1945, the Night Witches have flown more than 24,000 missions. They were one of the highest performing regiments in the whole Soviet Air Force, and they've undoubtedly helped contribute to a victory over the Nazis.
2: Keeping the the Germans on edge (laughs) 24-7, that was, of course, a great, great contribution.
0: After the fighting is over, 18 pilots and 6 navigators from the 588th receive the highest military honor, the title Hero of the Soviet Union. Most of the women then return to civilian society. In fact, they don't exactly have a choice. Stalin dismisses all the women from the military. His government says, essentially, thanks for your service, but now you can go back home where you belong. Many women want to keep flying, but they have a hard time getting hired. And some of them remain haunted by their service in the war.
2: Some of them flew over 1,000 combat missions. So 1,000 times they thought, will I burn this night?
0: After the war, Bergstrom said, many of them had recurring nightmares. The most common one was that they were flying and burning in the air their often harrowing wartime service does contribute to a cultural shift in the Soviet Union. Here's Claudia Hagen again.
1: World War II for us and the great patriotic war for the Soviets was a turning point for women because all of a sudden women that didn't know that they could do what they could do found that they really could do what they could do. Hagen herself knows something about what that's like. A foolish man told me back in the late 70s that women can't fly hot air balloons. And that really upset me because I thought that was the most gorgeous thing I had ever seen in my entire life, and I wanted one. So I hawked the house and bought one. (laughs) And she started
0: competing in hot air balloon competitions. My very first competition, I came in first place. And about a week later, at another competition, she runs into that guy. The one who had told her that women couldn't do this.
1: I ran into him again in my flight suit and all my my patches and my pins, and I just just wanted to knock him on his, you know what? I thought, okay, buddy, uh, eat your words. I'm here. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. If you want to get in touch, shoot us an email at our email address, historythisweek@history.com, or you can leave us a voicemail, 212-351-0410. This episode was produced by Julie Magruder. Special thanks today to our guests, Claudia Hagen and Krista Bergstrom. History This Week is also produced by Ben Dickstein, Julia Press, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Bill Moss. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Mackenzie Lynn, Jesse Katz, and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week.